0: what's up and welcome to another episode of the grind line podcast i am your host greg um i have jake tonight uh jake rivard from the 303 hockey podcast also from motown tyler apparently so apparently when you get allergies sometimes you lose your voice and allegedly. tyler allegedly and tyler apparently only has 10 percent of his voice currently and ryan has unannounced friends um i'm gonna do a Flat blanket warning, never be an unannounced friend. No one likes an unannounced friend. Please give far enough notice that you are coming to my home. Don't just say I'm on my way because I will say I'm not home. I had an unannounced friend
1: show up and all I got was a three-game suspension. Oh, (laughs) man.
0: Uh, But we have a show tonight. So, yes, that is one thing we are going to talk about. We are going to talk about Michael Bunting. We're going to talk about, uh, quote-unquote, soft Euros and the problem with quote-unquote soft Euros. And we are also going to cover the uh, Steve Eiserman press conference, lengthy press conference done by Steve Eiserman, and some comments from Derek Lalone. But we're going to start off with the league's favorite dipshit, currently Michael Bunting, who just apparently does not have the ability to keep his mouth shut. And if any of you watch the absolute domination of the Toronto Maple Leafs, that is apparently Wes McCauley's fault, Uh, In game one, where the Tampa Bay Lightning just absolutely stomped the shit out of them. Michael Bunting had a absolute dirty high hit to the head of Eric Chernak. And Chernak's out. He is not going to be playing game two. He's ruled out. And today, Michael Bunting received a three-game suspension. Uh, Jake, were you surprised by the
1: three-game suspension? I think I'm surprised about the number. Maybe not necessarily the suspension itself. Um, what I thought was like especially interesting is that Bunting is the villain of the day, but not the day before Matt Dumba had this like awful, awful hit on um, somebody in Dallas. Dow- oh, Joe Pavelski. And it Joe was Pavelski's, Pavelski. Yeah, and he's in concussion protocol right now.
0: Yeah, I don't think the Dumba hit. I the hit was shoulder to shoulder, but he drove in high. Yeah. The hit was late. That was the problem. Is that he the puck was gone and Dumba. Like de- destroyed him, but destroyed him in the cleanest way possible. You can destroy someone, I guess. But Bunting literally drove his elbow directly into Turnax's head. Oh, yeah. And complained the whole way to the bench.
1: It is like fascinating to me because this whole season we've had this narrative build that like, oh, Bunting's the victim. You know, the refs hate him. He, you know, constantly gets all these calls against him. When in reality, I think I saw a stat that said like he's what well, he was in the top three this year of like penalties called in his favor sure Uh, he was like really good at drawing penalties
0: and when he does get calls against him it's completely deserved because he does stupid Mm -hmm. shit and then he yells about it he flips out he He yells at the rest he cries he's like a little like i equate him to like uh, those little dogs that when you enter someone's house they don't shut up like that's what michael bunting is he's a little yappy dog and three i think three games is funny because the way people will look at it is they'll say well When a suspension happens in the playoffs, it's normally one playoff game suspension would be two games in the regular season, which would make this a six game regular season suspension, which I for one think is hilarious because we all know that NHL players' safety is not consistent. They're not consistent and they're not good at their jobs. Those are two things that are just facts. And I think this suspension, I think a suspension is warranted, but I still think they got it wrong. Like, I think it could be a a one game suspension if you think it would have been two in the regular season. I don't think it needed to be three, which basically takes Bunting out for the rest of the playoffs. So he'll be on a new team next year. It doesn't matter. Uh, But I think they overdid it.
1: Not only will he be on a new team, but then you will have all the Leafs fans say that he's always been bad and we've never wanted him anyway. It's, uh, you know.
0: Do you think it'll save Kyle Dubas's job? Like, get rid of Michael Bunting? Do you think
1: if, if Michael Bunting is resigned, Kyle Dubas loses his job? I kind of think Kyle Dubas is if they get swept this year or if they like blow it again, obviously Sheldon Keefe's out. um, That goes without saying. But if I'm Kyle Dubas, I might be looking at a job with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, Think about like a possibility. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be mid for a long time. But like, you know, it's his chance to like build the team from the ground up. But look what
0: he's done to Toronto. Like I get what he's trying to do, but you can't win by just going out and signing a bunch of high value players and hoping that they're they win in the playoffs, because like we've seen, especially with that game and especially with the Leafs since what, 2004, the playoffs are a different animal. Like they are not tough enough to compete with playoff teams like Tampa because Tampa will kick their shit in and not care. Corey Perry owns the Toronto Maple Leafs.
1: They are like to like wear you down too. I mean, that is that that is aligned with. Every single line has a dude that's going to play really hard and is going to wear you out. Every
0: single line has a Larry Murphy, that
1: guy. Yeah, everyone. Everyone's got this as a guy on their lines. And with the Leafs, they like stack, you know, their top two lines of their best scorers. And then they have, quote, grit on the depth. But in reality, it's like grit without any of the like, without the it. You know what I mean? It's lowercase grit. Yeah, not uppercase grit. It was an old emo song, like cute without the T or something. It's cute cute without the
0: E. That's what it is. (laughs) Uh, But it's I just it it was fun. It was a fun game to watch. I mean, it was absolutely hilarious. And then the whole Leafs Nation blaming Wes McCauley thing. Throw that shit out the window. I don't care who Wes McCauley's brother-in-law is. It has no effect on the game. The Leafs were 5-0-1 in the regular season in games in which Wes McCauley refed them. You can't say that now he's flipped a switch and now is going to kick the Maple Leafs out of the playoffs. If you lose, you lose. The game was gutless. John Tavares was gutless after the fact, also trying to blame officiating for it. And it's just a really bad look in Leafs Nation overall. But I mean, when isn't it?
1: If I were the Leafs, I would just simply play better and, you know, make it to the next round. But that's just me that, you know, maybe I'm I've got new ideas here. I feel like they haven't really thought that one through. Um, I, I just I would score more goals and and save more goals and, and maybe we, not trade for Ilyas Hamsonov and Matt Murray. That's yeah, just me I, though.
0: I think goaltending was probably an issue that definitely was not solved uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, especially heading into the playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with them going forward. Game two is tomorrow. And I think it's in They're going to try and use it as a redemption game. But game two will still be in in Toronto. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And if more people leave halfway through the game and waste their money, going to see the Toronto Maple
1: Leafs play hockey. Over under, how soon do we see a Leafs jersey on the ice? I say game three. If they lose game
0: two and then go on and lose game three in Tampa, because there will still be Leafs fans in Tampa. I think you see a Leafs jersey on the ice in Tampa in game
1: three. I'm going to say if it gets ugly in game two, like if, if they're down like five two, you know, middle of the second, you'll see one on the ice. You think so? I think so. you going to see any bags on heads? Oh, I'm sure we'll see at least one or two.
0: Yeah, Leafs fans are are getting sad. But I mean, the scapegoating began before the series started, so.
1: If it isn't Wes Macaulay, it's the playoff seating. If it isn't the playoff seating, it's the unfair treatment of Nazim Kadri. If it isn't that, then, you know, they have an endless list of things.
0: None of them are the team. Yep. Or Kyle Dubas. Never that. Or, or the, just management or roster management or Sheldon Keefe, who threw out the third and fourth line to start the game yesterday instead of starting their first line. You
1: know, what's even cooler is they are not changing their lines at all. They're putting, uh, What's his name? Kerfoot in the goes top, up top. Six. I thought Yarn Croak went up top. It's either Yarn Croak or Kerfoot. Yeah, one of the two is going up there. Um, and they're keeping their defensive pairings the exact same. Oh, Especially Lord. Justin Hole, was lit up for six goals against. He was on the ice for all of them.
0: It's going to be not good. I mean, it'll be great for me because it's good entertainment. But it's not going to be good for them or their fan base who are going to collectively have an aneurysm.
1: Can I be <sighs> honest? At this point, sure. I don't care who wins the cup. If the Leafs get blown out in the first round, that will be my cup.
0: Yeah, that's that's just collectively the cup for everyone outside of Toronto. <laughs> it's just the, the Leafs misery in the first round. Um, but we're going to move on to some other misery that apparently people have that I just I can't understand. Uh, our friends at and Motown put out an article today. Yeah, 12 hours ago. That's draft banter. And it's Detroit needs an impact player like Matvey Michkov. So what's happening now is Matvei Michkov, top, top prospect. I mean, he should be a top three pick or top four pick. The whole Russia thing might push that because now, I mean, his dad just mysteriously died while walking by a pond. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because Russia is also trying to avoid sending players to North America. And I think he still has a contract until 2024 20, or 2025, 26. I think he does. He's got a pretty decently long contract over in the KHL. But winging it and Motown posts it. And then Facebook immediately with the man with a cutoff sleeve denim jacket and all caps, no more euros. They're not physical, too soft, need grit. And I just, you, you face palm for a second. And then you look at at the Red Wings makeup and like who are who's our toughest player right now. And you would you'd argue to say that it's Moritz Seider, right? That that Mo Seider, who's apparently a soft Euro uh, because he is German, is a, is a soft player. Who else is known for being pretty gritty that came in towards the end of the year? Simon Edvinson. Uh, Simon Edvinson was ready to lay hands on people. And uh, I mean, he's Swedish. You look at Marco Casper, who is probably gonna be one of the grittiest players when he comes in.
1: He's Austrian. So where are the soft Euros? Are the soft Euros in the room with us right now? I just <laughs> want to sit that guy down and just like talk are they the to new him. boogeyman? Is that what the soft Euros yeah. are?
0: Because I understand that that's a Don Cherry lover, is what that is. Is like he loves Don Cherry because Don Cherry used to complain about soft European players, but it's like it's not
1: 1972 anymore, guys. Yeah, I really love my soft players like. Uh, Nicholas Cronwall he was he sure was soft it just to me it makes no sense in
0: in like you even responded to him and everyone else now gratefully there are smart people smart people that basically say is this the part where I remind you that most is German as in a euro but then it keeps going Detroit needs strong power forwards big d-men they can pick up gritty players in the free agent market which I get and then a bunch of people that just know we don't know more euros, all that. So I want to know what teams build their team based on nationality of the player and not how the
1: player performs. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering like where you stand on the grit, uh, debate. I know a lot of people like to, you know, they, they're like, Oh, we need big tough guys all the time. And then there are other people that are like, Oh, we just need skilled guys, guys who can score, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you stand on that?
0: So my, my view on it and, and Lalone and Iserman kind of both said it in their pressers, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is that grit can come from within. It comes with development. It comes with uh games played in the league. It comes with playing for for the same team with the same group of guys and standing up and, and gelling and working together as a team. Grit can come. That's fine. In the the era of the enforcer is dead. You can't have a guy on your team that his only job is to come in and beat people up. You Ryan Reeves is absolutely useless besides his fists i don't care and i've said it before on the show and people can disagree as much as they want people aren't afraid of him i mean they don't want to fight him but they're not going to not do something because he's there i mean we saw uh kaprizov get absolutely crushed this season and ryan reeves didn't do anything about it and they weren't afraid of ryan reeves to do anything about it so i mean it's it's like a guy like luke Witkowski there's just there's no room and that's why he's not in the NHL anymore. On the converse side, a guy like Tom Wilson can beat people's ass and put the puck in the net. I'll take that all day. If you can put up 25 points a season and be a physical presence, then you can you can provide hockey. That's what we want. We want you to provide hockey. And I think that's that's kind of my stance on it.
1: If you can totally change the the vision and the direction of the New York Rangers you are welcome on this team oh my god it's just
0: to me when people go we need grit and then they immediately mention Reeves and Witkowski and like we need a player like that but we don't I mean we already have a lack of offense and what is going to happen when you remove more offense from the team like you need to add scoring you need a big power forward You saw what happened when we lost Michael Rasmussen. So it's clear that we need that physical presence and that pushback. And that's something he provides. But Michael Rasmussen was also on pace for like 45 points this season. in like his third or second full season in the NHL. So it'll come from within. We're getting a Marco Casper. We're getting a Simon Edmondson. We're getting Michael Rasmussen back. It'll help. And that's where the grit's
1: going to come from. But we don't just need to go out and sign goons. That's not helpful. Definitely agreed on all fronts there. But I also think that we do, we do have guys in the like coming up that are gritty too. I mean, you got Carter Mazer, you've got Marco Casper, you've got dudes. It's Simon Edmondson, like guys who aren't afraid to fight if they need to. And I think like, ultimately it comes down to like just standing up to the bullies because there are bullies out there. There are bullies that are that oh, for sure. NHL teams and you need to show them that like, you're not going to get pushed around by them. We can't have Matthew Kachuk doing the little like flex thing next year, you know?
0: Yeah, someone needs to punch Brady's teeth in because all or Brady, Brady yeah, that's it. All Brady does is run his mouth and then run away. I'm not sure I've seen him fight very much, but he's just very loud and vocal. So, and like you said, Carter Mazer is another one. We thought that in Bertuzzi when he was in Grand Rapids and he was in Guelph, he was I think more aggressive than he was in Detroit. But when what you're getting in a Carter Mazer is you're getting that high level offensive talent with the fists or not the fists, but the kind of grittiness or the, we call them shit disturber to back it up. And, and that's, I mean, it's coming and it'll come with time and it. You, we don't need to immediately run out and sign a bunch of bottom six dudes just to fill that role. Like you'll have a guy, a guy on each line like Tampa does that can provide that. And Steve built that in Tampa. He did that on purpose. If you look at his draft history, it's bigger guys that are going to uh, – bigger guys that are skilled and then really, really skilled guys if they're smaller, like uh, Amadeus Lombardi, who's lighting it up.
1: Yeah, you have those big guys to to make the space so the little guys can cook.
0: Exactly, and that's why people are like, know, oh, we want Alex to bring it. Okay, well, again, we're going to go back to – you're going to have someone that's going to have to protect Alex to bring it because he's smaller. Now, I'm not going to give up the assets that Ottawa wants for Alex to bring it, especially within – the same division as them um, but it'll be okay i think that's what it is like people need to be told constantly it's going to be okay like we have to be their therapist
1: my theory uh here this is what i think is going to happen with the i think he's going to sign like a one-year deal maybe two at most with ottawa and then he's he walked a walk to free agency Yep, I don't think he wants to be there. I think that he's waiting until the last second to announce his intentions, and if, and Ottawa's not going to be able to find a good deal because they're going to lose pretty much every deal now that they know that like the negotiating is going the other way. So, I mean, it's the same thing with like um, the the year Taylor Hall was going to be traded. Remember, yeah. like they got yeah. nothing from him, or Patrick Kane even more recently.
0: It's probably going to be the same kind of situation, and it's going to bite. Uh, I mean, Ottawa's probably just going to panic and trade him to trade him because if they don't like to sign him to one year and then lose him the next even though you're trying to make it back to the playoffs like every year's uh, what was the the headline like this year is the year for unprecedented for
1: success or unparalleled Un- success
0: unparalleled success every year is unparalleled success for ottawa but it's just i, I don't think that they're gonna they're gonna freak out and be like we can't let him walk for nothing and they're gonna end up having to trade him now a team out west will probably overpay for him you're gonna get a team like la that'll overpay for him or i I don't i mean maybe seattle will try to move some stuff around if they don't go too far right now but someone will do it i just don't think detroit will do it because you're trading
1: with a division rival at that point but he's from clarkston he's right there (laughs)
0: <laughs> it, which is great good for him i love that people were born places it's just it's like that's what it is like you were born somewhere fantastic that doesn't mean you should play for that team i mean it's nice great you get to be in your family and everything but i don't like especially people like i would totally give the islanders pick up for to i'm like i am not in this draft i'm not giving a top 20 pick to a division rival especially one that's like right there with us in the rebuild and it's sh- I just I can't do it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the whole to thing. But I'm not I'm not going to get my hopes up there.
1: Now, if we can get him, I'd be happy about that. I'd be sure enjoyed. But it again, like you said, the cost.
0: Yeah, it all absolutely comes down to cost. And the cost for for us is probably going to be higher than it would be for someone else because of the divisional thing. So. Uh, we're going to move on to the Eisenman Press Conference and the Loan Press Conference. In just a minute, we're going to take a quick break for a word from DraftKings. We'll be right back. From Tea to Green, the best place to go to get in on all the action happening on the links is DraftKings Sportsbook. This week, new customers will receive an odds boost to add plus 1,000 to any pre tournament wager up to $10 on any golfer to win. So, for example, if you're a new customer and you see a golfer to win the tournament at plus 1,000 odds, DraftKings will boost that golfer to plus 2,000 odds for your shot at a bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odds boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day before the tournament starts to see what they have in store. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, and boost your odds during the weekend's tournament. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook. And we're back, and Iserman and LaLone did their end-of-season press conferences. So did a bunch of players, and they had a bunch of uh, really good stuff to say. We learned that Mosider will not be going to the World Championship because... He's recovering, but uh, Lucas Raymond will be going and playing for Team Sweden. We learned that Berggren will also be going to play for Team Sweden. Olimata should be going to play for Finland. And I believe Dominic Kubelik is going to play for uh, Chechia.
1: And Joe Valeno is playing for oh, Team Canada. Joe
0: Valeno is playing for Canada, which really was like, really? Like Canada's. Cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, cool for him, <laughs> but like Canada normally fields like a super stacked team. And uh, Joe Valeno does not. Uh, really right, especially this season, jump out to me as super stacked Team Canada.
1: It makes me wonder what they like, if they believe in him, like if there's like some serious potential that we are not aware of, you know?
0: Well, I mean, Iserman is also on the staff for Team Canada. So there's (laughs) also a little bit of nepotism there, maybe. Uh, But and Newsy got named as an assistant coach for Team USA, which is like repping the Red Wings, which is really good to have that many players go to the worlds, but then the converse side of it is that all the other players are in the playoffs right now, and uh, it happens while the playoffs are going on. So that's uh, there would be a lot different teams maybe if teams like Boston weren't in the playoffs or uh, even Vegas weren't in the playoffs. There'd be oh,
1: Florida scored.
0: Oh, oh yeah, one uh, uh, one nothing against Boston currently with eighteen eighteen left in the second. I need Florida oh. to win this game.
1: I saw Rodko Gudis was giving Bertuzzi a hard time earlier. They they oh, do not man. like each other. I mean,
0: isn't that Bertuzzi's job to just not be liked?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Brad Marchand light. That's what we thought. Um, but I, like I said, Izerman Alone each did press conferences. I kind of want to start with the wanna start with the
1: Iserman one or do you want to start with the Lone one? Uh, let's go. Which one happened first? The Lalone happened first, right? The Lalone one happened first, yes. Yeah. Let's go chronologically.
0: So the Derek Lalone presser, uh, it was pretty quick. The YouTube feed stopped with two questions left, which I said, "Yeah, one of those questions was probably Carlos Monterey. So I probably didn't miss anything because God damn, does he ask some stupid questions? Like he tries to purposefully be like, dude, like the gotcha questions. But they never fall for it. Like Eiserman rolls his eyes,
1: sighs, and brushes him off. Basically, you want to time. see my my Eiserman impression?
0: Yeah, go it's ahead. It's pretty easy to
1: do. So what you do is you have to sit back a little bit, you cross your arms, you cock your head to the side, and you go, "Well, Helene, the thing is, uh, when it comes to building a team, it's uh, it's about about putting but putting the best roster together." That answer your question? And, then, and then
0: <laughs> sometimes he'll do just a big sigh before he answers first, and he'll think about it. Or he'll like, he'll mess with his glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, Iserman, I've said it before, Iserman is the master of saying a lot with, well, saying absolutely
1: nothing. He does like, this, Um. sometimes Helene will ask questions and you'll just see him like scoff a little bit or like smirk. He's like, and, like, you can just tell he's like, what a stupid question.
0: No, he does that quite often. And it's really funny because it's like, he tries to be a genuine dude, like a super genuine dude. And it, he just, with some of these guys, he can't even like that's his whole thing. He's like, I just I can't believe you asked that question. I thought someone was going to bring up Verona again and he was going to lose his shit because he is so done with talking about Jacob Verona that it's it's not even funny. Aren't we all we all. Well, we it. should be. We should be. But, you know, people love to dwell on the past. Uh, but Derek alone, presser. So I'm going to go kind of bullet point by bullet point. If there's anything you want to react to, jump in. Sure. Um. Derek Lalone started off uh, by saying that they overachieved in the first half, but what happened in the last five to six weeks is also not an indicator of the team, probably somewhere in between, which I half agree with. I think I the overachieved in the first half, I'm not sure they overachieved. Maybe they overachieved for the for the missing
1: players,
0: but I totally agree with the five last five to six weeks is not an
1: indicator of where this team is gonna be. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that. Um Definitely. Like, I mean, following all the injuries, you know, we lost a ton of guys at the beginning and they still managed to put it all together. So I don't know, I'd say props for that.
0: Yeah, I think they ended uh, maybe a little lower where I th- than where I thought they were going to end. I think I said 86 points at the beginning of the season for the team. And they 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 mean they blew out the last I mean, the tires fell off the last like five games of the season. But I overachieved, I think, is a strong word to use for the first half. I think they played really well and they earned a lot of the wins that they got. So uh, he said Steve made the right moves at the deadline and it just stung the team, which Dylan Larkin said the same thing. Like, we get it. It's a business, but it still hurts. It's still emotional toll on the team to lose the guys. Um, They most of them and even Andrew Kopp said in his that they knew they were going to lose Bertuzzi but the chronic one was kind of a surprise for them because he had been playing so well and he was on a contract when he had term left. So uh, I I agree. He made the right moves And Steve even said himself, he was never going to be a buyer, always going to be a seller there. Um, they improved special teams and defense, but the five V five offense uh, did not. And will have to be addressed in the off season. And I think this is a big point for them is that, um, they did improve special teams and they did improve their defense and their PK was solid for a while, dropped off a little bit, became solid again. I feel like Alex Tangay went back and forth all season with the power play. It was good and it was bad and it was good and it was bad. It turned into dump and chase and nothing happened.
1: I'm kind of wondering if they're like unlearning all the bad habits from the Hill era, because if you notice, like whenever they had power play coaches, it was always, oh, the first couple months were like amazing or the first couple weeks were amazing. And then it would just always fall into the same doldrums at the exact same time.
0: Well, they did it with preseason. We looked at preseason and the power play in preseason was phenomenal. We're like, this is amazing. This never would have happened under Blash. And then it started off okay. And then like you said, it dipped, it goes down and they dump and chase and they uh, don't cycle the puck well. And they miss all their passes and then it climbs the hill a little bit and it goes back up. So I, I see the ebb and flow of it, and and Iserman had said that basically, or not Iserman, but alone had said that, that basically the staff is probably going to stay the same. So I think what Tange really needs to work on is just please, for the love of God, throw, dump, and chase out the window. Because especially on the power play, drop passes on the power play too, just they're not working, guys. Set up and cycle, get someone down there. The bumper seemed to have been coming back alive towards the end of the season. So just make something happen because I can't do it anymore. <laughs> it's just, I, I, it's it's not good. And 5v5 offense, of course. I mean, we were one of, we were a pretty low 5v5 offense team and it's it hurts. But that's, I think, where you need a power forward guy. You need Michael Rasmussen to continue to develop it throughout the season. You need more from Joe Valeno. As much as Pia Suter did, I think you need Pia Suter to score a little more.
1: I never realized how big of a piece Michael Rasmussen was until he was gone. Right? So right. underappreciated.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, I gotten like a 5-hour tw- argument today with someone who basically said Michael Rasmussen is useless. Um that he uh, there are a million of him out there and that we don't need to be signing him right now because we can get him anywhere
1: and I said, ah, "I don't think so." There five told- <laughs> players that are like him like that right? are available.
0: Well, people are saying uh, for all the people that say we need to go out and sign Alex Killorn, Uh Alex Killorn is 33 and Michael Rasmussen is like a young Alex Killorn. Basically, uh, he plays a very similar style game. His development is is taking off. Uh, he brings that physical presence. He's the grinder type player and he can play up and down the lineup. And I, I mean, I had even mentioned a couple episodes ago that there is a chance that Michael Rasmussen gets some top line time with Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond. Because it's just the presence that he provides, the net front that he can provide. And we joke about it that once he learned how to skate, I mean, it was all downhill for Michael Rasmussen. As long as he can stand up, he's very effective because he did a lot of falling down.
1: On on 313 Hockey, we always call him the dog because, man, he's got the dog in him. That he dog. Is, he is like, he's on one. Every game, I'm like, I see him do something cool.
0: Bertuzzi passed the dog on to
1: Michael <laughs> Rasmussen
0: is what happened that'll be a good one to watch will be Michael Rasmussen in his development going forward. And I think he, he should get a pretty decent extension. I wouldn't mind like a five year, $4 million extension for Rass because he's going to be your utility player. I mean, he's your Chris Draper yeah. for lack of a better kind of comparison. He's kind I'd of have. a
1: Swiss army player. You just throw him in a situation and he'll, he'll probably find a way to figure it out or he'll find a way to get you out of the bind, you know?
0: Yeah. And the thing I really like about him is, is basically his willingness to, continue to work at it and i think that's a big thing is like he said his off-season goal was to get better at hockey which i know is kind of like a a cop-out kind of answer but when he looks at you dead in the face with the death stare and says i'm gonna get better at hockey you go okay michael we believe you (laughs)
1: like whatever you say michael
0: (laughs) please don't murder my family But it was, I think it'll be, that'll be a good one. It'll be a good one going forward when he gets healthy, his knees apparently not shattered in a million places anymore, and he should be ready to go for training camp and and to have a good offseason. Lalone went on to say that the team needs to be tougher, which we'd already discussed. Uh, It can be learned from within the group. In today's NHL, you don't need to fight four times. You just need to push back. I think that was a big point that he made. Uh, Offense and pushback are the most pressing things going into next year. That's what he added. to the bullies. Exactly. Well, bully back. That's yeah. the thing. Stand up to them, but bully back. You start the bullying. Set the tone early in the game. And then just play your game and, and you'll probably win. So uh the compete was real and the guys felt it. It's something they can feed off of. So the in the guys' press conferences too, they basically said there's there in the room, there's a good vibe in the room. They're all playing for each other. The vibes are there, they're happy. Um, and that they are they feel that on every night they can go out and compete. Did you get the same vibes from them?
1: I would say, you know what I really appreciated about the team near the end was that even when they were like down, it didn't seem like they were like deflated. Like in the Blashill era, they would get down like four or five goals and they would just they'd phone it in like the rest of the game. It was low energy, like they're just trying to stay alive. This time I felt like I don't know. I felt like they were a little more dogged.
0: Yeah, well, they, they fought back. That was the thing we talked about midway through the season is there. There's a lot of games this season where. It would have been eight to two. It would have been five to one, but instead it was five to four or we came back and won a a high scoring game. They didn't roll over. That's the whole thing. Like I think and I think that's a big credit to guys like David Perron who came into that locker room and really said we're done taking people shit like you guys are going to learn how to win or how to fight back. And that's something he's done his
1: whole career. Did you see the interview where he revealed that he was like the last person to finally accept that like they weren't going to make the playoffs? Like he was Re- still pushing until really? the very end. Yeah.
0: Well, that makes sense. And, he, and I'm so glad he signed for another year. And I I totally and I've said it that I think David Perron, I, I wouldn't mind him retiring as a Red Wing. He just for locker room ple- uh, presence alone. And even if you just need him to be a fourth line grinder kind of guy who can chip in and, and be a good power play dude. That's fine. And he'll probably play for vet minimum. And I think he's a guy that you can have around. And it just especially for locker room alone, just that that veteran presence and leadership, I think, is it's what you call what people, what the professionals call an intangible. That's what they call it. just things that you can't put on a stat sheet. <laughs> the those Pierre Maguire talents. That's Expected what those by are. who? Yeah. <laughs> by, by by whom? I'm so glad that they got their English right on that. that yeah, made me very. That made me happy. Uh, I Lalone, wish they would have said
1: whomst. That Homst. would have been even better.
0: <laughs> or what? Expected by what?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh Lalone went on to say that he's happy with some of the uh growth of the team game, but it isn't where they want it to be yet. Uh says they'll start next season on the 50 yard line, basically. He did a whole football analogy. Like, we are starting at the end zone, we're up here. Like now, now next year we're starting at the 50 yard line. We just need to go get the touchdown. That's what we need to do. So hopefully we end the season in the red zone for those who I watch football Um, I'm being involved in the offseason discussions alone. And Iserman are a team. Derek will have thoughts and opinions he will want, but there still needs to be a separation between manager and coach, which is good. I mean, we don't really hear too much about the relationship between the two, just that we know Iserman likes alone because he's worked with him before, but it's good to know that Iserman is accepting of feedback and it's good to know that Derek has feedback, I guess. Because he's with them every night and kind of has the insight on what they need. And I think that yeah. will also help in the um, aid, uh, discussions with the free agents.
1: And I mean, like, as much as we we see Iserman as his, like, Messiah figure, you know, he's still human. There are still, like, missteps he can take. And with somebody like Lalone, who's on the front lines with all these guys, like, he probably knows pretty intimately, like, what the needs are. And I think maybe even more
0: than Blaschel did, because he's a player's coach. Like Lalone, he prides himself on working individually with players based on how they learn. That's the thing. So he, if, if he knows the player needs a kick in the ass, he's going to give him a kick in the ass. If he knows they need a pat on the back, he's going to give him a pat on the back. So I think that kind of also helps him where he can take that information back to Iserman and he can say, hey, this guy's really working on X, Y, Z. This is how I'm working with him. And then or this guy isn't working. It's not what we want to do, not the direction we want to go. Maybe it's a guy we can let walk. Or maybe um, we have the discussions. If they're not receptive to feedback or whatever, then we can replace them. So I think those are going to be very interesting discussions because the Red Wings have a lot of work to do this offseason. Um, on Edmondson, Lalonde saw growth and optimism. That's a credit to the Grand Rapids staff, which was immediately fired recently. So <laughs> he's like, yeah, the GR staff did great with Simon Edmondson. And then the Red Wings post on social media that the entire Grand Rapids staff, uh, besides Knubel, has been released to me
1: but to me those guys are kind of those people that succeed in spite of sure rather yeah. than because of
0: yeah if your top picks are failing because of the management of your AHL team, then they might not have been top picks to begin with. I think that's kind of the the trend there but Edmondson I I was impressed by the games that he got in and how poised he was from the jump and sure there are small mistakes he's gonna have to button up the penalties. But what what was kind of your read on Simon
1: Edmondson for the games that he got? He looked like he was there. I mean, he looked like he was ready, like like the first game. I'm like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing, like right off the bat. Um, And I noticed that like every single game he's played since then, he tightens up something else. So like he stopped taking as many penalties. He started to be a little more responsible in like the um, in the transitional zone, like every single game he had something that he tuned up in some way. And I remember in a lot of interviews like that's how coaches complimented him. They always said he was very adaptable and he was very good at like accepting feedback.
0: Yeah, I like that he got edgier as it went on too. Like he was ready to jump in and fight. He was he was laying hits, like laying the body and that's what we need to see more of too is and like you said growing from within the physical play. Edvinson's that guy. He'll jump up in the play. He's got the offensive talent too. That's another area that I saw kind of grow with Edmondson even in that short time is shots on net. And when shots on net, especially we've seen it with Mo when they happen from the blue line with the power that those guys have good rebounds and you get guys in front to clean them up. You get guys like Rass in front to clean it up. You get guys like uh, Berggren in front to clean it up. It's going to, it's going to be very effective going forward as those guys transition in Uh Bergen and Valeno stepped up with an increased role, natural for young players and valuable to get those experiences. Beating teams like Pittsburgh, Toronto and Boston is a credit to the guys. Could they beat them in a seven game series? Probably not, but it showed growth in the team game. And that's a big one because, but I feel like it's a Red Wings thing that happens is that we overperform against really good teams. And then we get our asses beat by teams like Arizona. And it's just, it just seems
1: to be a recurring theme. It's classic. I mean, it's, it's, I think it shows that Red
0: Wings, kind of yep. like, did, like,
1: <laughs> like the sitcom. Oh, classic Red Wings. I was at the Pittsburgh game where they beat him seven to three. I know and, we saw you. Yeah, that's right. Very satisfying game. That one. That one was great. The fans next to me. I was sitting by a bunch of pens fans. One dude kicked his chair and like chucked his hat. Uh, another dude like stormed off. Oh, it was great. This guy. You should, behind You me, should like,
0: have picked up his hat and thrown it for the Perron hat trick.
1: Oh, I should have yeah this one guy behind me um was like oh well you know jokes on them they have to go back to the city of Detroit and I turned around I'm like you really think that these players live in downtown Detroit like they all live in Farmington Hills
0: that's another thing that keeps coming up on Twitter is like no player wants to live in Detroit I'm like wait they don't live in Little Caesars Arena you mean they can pick houses
1: anywhere like as long <laughs> as they're a 20 minute drive or a half hour drive away Right. And there's like so many teams like St. Louis won the cup in twenty nineteen. Like what do if if there's any place that no people would want to live, it might be St. Louis. Like, you know. Yeah, I doubt
0: really any players live in the city that that the team is in or that the arena is in. Most of them live in the suburbs around because one, they don't constantly want to be recognized and bugged everywhere. And two, living 20 minutes away from the major city is a hell of a lot cheaper than living in the major city and having to deal with the congestion and the traffic and the travel and all that stuff. So no, the, the players are not living in Detroit. They're living in Birmingham or they're living in Bloomfield or wherever is, is a more upscale Detroit suburb,
1: just as any speaking other of, team is going to do. Speaking of uh, interacting with players on the street, we actually interviewed Mo Sider's dad a couple of weeks ago. I uh, saw so we translated that. the interview from, from German to English. And he talked a little about a little bit about how, like whenever Mo tries to go out, um, And a lot of the players, they they get kind of you know, and I think this is fair. Like it's they get kind of frustrated when like people break up their times out or like you know the the time they have. So like if you do see any wings players out and about, you know, smile and wave, but don't go up and like bother them if they're like having dinner or like you know trying to do something on their own.
0: I my rule of thumb is if they're walking down a street, say hey, say go wings, say love your game, whatever. I've done that to uh, Nicholas Cronwall in Royal Oak. I just walked past it. The only person I ever like went up and said, can you sign something for me? Uh, when I worked in Somerset Mall, Drew Miller was waiting for his girlfriend outside of Sephora or Alter, whatever the makeup store is inside of Somerset. And he was just standing there. So I walked up to him quietly with my jacket. And I was like, hey, Drew, can you sign this? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he signed it. I'm like, thank you. And I went back. And that's like the the most I will do for just dudes on the street. I don't Mm -hmm. bug them for pictures or nothing because they're just trying to be people. And you got to let them be people. There's events you can go to to get stuff signed and to bug them. Just go to the events for sure. Um, Lalone ended the cutoff press conference on YouTube by saying losing Rasmussen really hurt the group. They're excited to get a healthy moose back. It will really help the team. Uh, We talked about that completely agree because that is that was one of the big missing pieces down the stretch was Michael Rasmussen. So um, my final thought on that was that I love Newsy. I don't know how you've thought about him throughout the season. Most transparent coach I've ever heard says the right things all the time and just is a upbeat, positive dude that seems like he has a really, really good handle on the players.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely love how candid he is about things. He'll acknowledge like when they're, you know, what they need to improve. He'll acknowledge like he he always gives a straight answer. And I think it's his New York upbringing. I think it's that that Buffalo in him, that real blue collar, like, listen, here's the deal. And I'll I really laid it down that. for you. Yeah, like... I appreciate it. I think the sign of a good leader is somebody who can explain things in layman's terms to any, anybody, because uh, I think a lot of times. I mean, when you're an NHL coach or you're a coach of a professional sports team, you know, sometimes it gets to people's heads. You have know, you can notice it in quite a few interviews with quite a few coaches. But what I like about Lalone is he's kind of like the people's coach where he's he's able to just give you a straight up answer when you need it.
0: Yeah, he talks. He doesn't talk. What's nice is he doesn't talk down to you. He talks at just, he'll say in a way you can understand that still gives you the information at a high level. So like he doesn't make the he does it for the reporters he's like listen this is this is what's happening guys and he lays it out but I I like that he is also not afraid to openly not criticize but openly give feedback like to reporters like he'll say like oh I didn't think that uh like the move valeno made there in the second period probably wasn't great it's something we're gonna have to work on like he'll openly say like the these guys need work and we're working on it not in, in the same breath, not bash them or pull a berube and be overly critical. So it's it's just I think it's refreshing from the random canned answers we got from Jeff Blashill that Lalone's able to break it down in ways that literally everyone can understand or should yeah. be able
1: to. I feel like Blashill gave answers like politicians do, where they like don't really give you the answer; they just kind of go around the room, talk in circles. Like, yep. Yeah, it's kind of kind
0: of what it's what Eiserman does with Helene is what happens mm-hmm. <laughs> there. Uh, So moving on to the Eiserman press conference, it's so long. I'm going to do high level on some of it. And some of it, I'm just going to skip. The first question was Helene basically asked how it's gone. I believe it was Helene (laughs) asked how it's gone after four years. His answer was, quote, OK. He would love to be further ahead in the process. Started out saying it was going to take time and they were trying to draft well. They have stocked up on picks. It's slow. It's a slow process. I'd love to say he's thrilled, but he's been pleased with some of the development, and others haven't panned out. I think you'll see that when uh we talked about last week, where there are a bunch of guys that have to be signed to entry-level contracts, so they're gonna be dropped. I think you'll see maybe one or two of them signed and the rest dropped. And some development has been hampered by injury. We saw Cross Hannes go out with an injury. We've seen Elmer get injured this season. Albert Johansson started out really hot, got injured. So that is going to be kind of some some developmental missteps there because of injury. But I don't think he wants... Iserman goes into everything trying not to tip his hand. And I think this was a moment where he tried not to tip his hand because he doesn't want to say, oh my God, we're doing so great. It's amazing. But he also doesn't want to say, I'm really, really disappointed.
1: I agree with that. Yep.
0: Uh, he says he's not disappointed where they're at. Guesses he's okay with it. He, this was the theme of it. I, I'm okay with it. Uh, nothing will dramatically change. They'll look for opportunities to speed it up four years in. He's okay. He mentions Rasmussen and Valeno are having a bigger impact, gradually moving guys in, and that Zadina was out most of the year. They had him penciled in for offense. They'll look at the free agent market and hope that the younger guys produce more. And that was another theme is just these younger guys, like a Lucas Raymond, need to step it up. And and we said that too. Like Lucas Raymond had a, a, a bit of a down year, was heating up, and then got hurt. And that was kind of a bummer. Zadina hurt most of the season. We said, this is got to be Zadina's bounce back year. It's where he needs to score. And when he was back those few games, he looked really good and got some goals and he got some assists and then he got hurt again. So I think that's the thing is that they're looking for young guys. Beargrin, great rookie season, but he's going to have to progress next season. So that's kind of what they're looking for is is that. Um, and then on players moved at the deadline, Eiserman knew it would create holes. But the part that I picked up on here is that he then said holes that might not be able to be addressed this offseason. And that, but those moves still had to be done. And I think he's talking about Philip Peronik
1: there. Yeah. I don't feel like they're going to want to overpay for a guy in the free agent market with defense either. Um, it's going to be pretty competitive. Damon Severson is probably the closest thing you're going to get to a replacement, but like he's going to command a pretty high salary, especially after, you know, this current playoff series.
0: I think Severson is, is my, if it's not Timo Meyer on my forwards list, because I think I'm not sure they're going to be able to get a deal done with Timo Damon Severson, even though he's, I think he's going to be 29. Um, I mean, he's a very, very effective defenseman. He'd be very effective on the right side with this team. And I think he's probably at top. But then you look at the free agent list and Iserman said
1: this too. It's not good. Like free agency sucks this year. I just pulled it up right now. It's really bad. Your options for the right-hand defenseman are John Klingberg, Matt Dumba, Eric Johnson, Damon Severson, and Kevin Shattenkirk. I would pass on almost every one of those. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, most of them are too old. If you want Klingberg now, I don't know what what to say to you after the <laughs> season that he had this season and his age. But uh, it was uh, Clifton, Connor Clifton uh, option. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there's not a lot, but I think Severson is at the top of my list for for free agent defensemen. For forwards, the list is far worse. Uh, there's nothing there, so I think that's where Iserman is. And we had said it before, going to have to make some trades, and that's why he stocked up on some picks. Those picks, like the Boston first rounder, can be moved for assets uh, this summer. Where does the improvement need to happen? Uh, he answered every area. I uh, would like to win more games next season. Special teams has improved goals against has improved. You won't read a lot into what has happened in the past couple of weeks. Uh, no one, no one will read a lot as into what happened in the past couple of weeks on Casper and the rookies, spots will be determined through camp. Iserman won't assess Casper on one game, but he wants guys to play a lot wherever they ended up. We saw that with uh, Sebastian Cosa. He got the most games in Toledo and uh, went on a fucking tear and is now headed to the playoffs. So that'll be really interesting. Uh, prior to getting injured, they were also very happy with the development of Albert Johansson. Uh, he could also make the lineup. That's basically one thing that Eiserman said, is that Albert Johansson could make the lineup. And I think that if he wasn't hurt when Edvinson got called up, Johansson probably would have been the call-up, simply because he's an extremely
1: solid defenseman. And I'm not sure how much you've watched of him. I really liked him in, in Sweden. I watched a couple of his games back then. And I, I always thought he was like... Um... Old reliable, you know what I mean? Like you can always count on him if you just need somebody to like munch minutes and to like play smart.
0: Yeah, and not be a liability. That's the whole thing is like his transition game is good and he's not going to get caught in his own zone. You're not going to catch Albert Johansson sleeping. He's just very responsible. And has said the same thing basically is that like he's an NHL dude, like he sh- he should be in. And if he wasn't hurt, he'd probably be in right now. The team needs to be more physical and competitive. But it's not about beating people up. It's about blocking shots and winning face-offs. Again, that mirrors what Lalone said. You don't need a guy to go out and punch people. You need guys to push back and compete. On Lalone, Steve said he did very well, has good assessment of the team, and a big part of the improvement has been on coaching. Uh, He's pleased with the atmosphere around the team and the preparation of the team as well. That's another thing that I like above Blash is that the team seems like on 99% of nights, they're ready to come out and go like to play hockey as where we saw them come out with Blash. Like the whole team just woke up from a coma.
1: Yeah. It's definitely like a huge change of pace. Honestly, like when the, the season first started, I was a little bewildered. I'm like, whoa, whoa, they're going so fast. What's going on? <laughs> Wait, these guys can
0: skate. Holy or, shit. Th- is this allowed? <laughs> yeah. Are, are the Red Wings, I think I tweeted that at the beginning of the season. I'm like, are the Red Wings allowed to be good? Are we, <laughs> are we supposed to do this? What happened? On goaltending, Ville had a good season with most games he has ever played. His numbers at the end weren't good, uh, but he has been dealing with an injury. Switching plans mentally also may have messed him up, Iserman said. So apparently the plan was going to be to shut him down for the season. And uh, then things went south and they're like, no, you're going to play. And putting him back in, uh, Iserman thinks not, not physically screwed him up, but may have may have kind of mentally messed with his head thinking he was going to be done and then just throwing him back in. Right. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, Go get him champ. Uh, I think Villy had a good season overall. And again, it is the most games he's ever played and I'm still on the, I'm tooting my
1: horn on the Carter Hart train currently. So. You know what? I can, I can hop on that bandwagon. I can hear a case for that. It's kind of like, For you NFL fans, uh, Trey Lance with the San Francisco 49ers. I saw that today. Yeah, if you're going to make a trade, grab him. What's the worst that could happen if Carter Hart winds up like being a complete bust? You know, he's at least a good, you know, you you, you got a backup goalie for a couple of years and you spend like what, a third, fourth round pick to make it happen. Sure.
0: All signs point
1: to Carter Hart not being a bad goalie,
0: I guess. I mean, he's been playing for the Flyers, so that tells you something. But if you're trying to tandem and we had thought that that the Huso and me and Ryan will lament this for the rest of our lives. said at the beginning that the Huso and Adelkovich tandem could have been one of the best in hockey. And then Ned played his way to Grand Rapids. But I think that if you got a Carter Hart, even if you only had Carter Hart play 40 games or 35 games, you're giving Villy a rest and you know you've got a solid backup for him that is is dependable and has been a starter forever so you could platoon those two
1: and if they both wind up being like super good they could win that oh what's the name of that trophy the jennings yeah the jennings trophy
0: oh the william m jennings trophy the given to the goalies having played a minimum of 25 games for a team with the fewest goals scored
1: obviously this year Lin- linus Wallmark and jeremy swayman won that award. oh yeah absolutely imagine my shock <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, and, and they're playing right now. And Florida scored again, two-one.
0: Florida with five thirty-three left in the second. I need them to win this game. I fucking hate Boston.
1: Oh, I want uh, Bertuzzi to win something though.
0: I don't know. I once they leave the team, man, they're completely dead to me. So, like, they—that's <laughs> uh, what we keep saying in the Discord. Bertuzzi, who? Like, that's <laughs> people mention him, we go who? Who's uh, those challenge will be working on being consistent every night? Ansar asks about what Steve needs to see in Edvinson and Casper to make the team. They have to be ready to show they can play. Steve wants them ready to play meaningful minutes, not just ice them to ice them. Are they stronger and quicker? They need to make a positive impact through the preseason. It's not going to be hard for them. That's not going
1: to be a challenge. Yeah, the bar's kind of low if we're we're keeping it a buck. (laughs)
0: The bar's on the floor, guys. Just pick it up and you'll make the team. On Lucas Raymond, he says the season was okay. He thinks extremely highly of Raymond. Uh, Peron went into Lucas's role and forced him to adapt thinks he adjusted well, but he expects him to grow and be better next year. he is only going to continue to be better um Steve heaped praise on Lucas Raymond. Uh, he's got a high ceiling a lot of room for development that he sees him as a very very good player with a lot of skill uh that he just keeps expecting that he will grow into his role and and I'm I'm in the same boat like I've said for a while now I think, Lucas Raymond could grow into a Mitch Marner type player. I agree. But Lucas Raymond needs to get a little bit more physical and he needs to put on
1: some weight. He needs to be the tougher version of uh, Mitch Marner because when Mitch Marner gets hit, he, he craters. So you need to you need to be like the count, the counter to that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And we saw what Lucas Raymond could do like and I don't know why he carried didn't carry it much into the regular season unless he couldn't because the competition is a little harder from preseason. We saw some Datsuk-type moves out of Lucas Raymond in preseason. Like, he can get in small areas, can be very elusive, and that's probably partially because of his size. But if he puts on 15 pounds in the offseason and just bulks up a bit, I, you're going to have a much more dangerous, I think, Lucas Raymond. And I fully expect him to be, in in the next couple years, I mean, he could be upwards of a 70-point player, I think, because he this the skill is there to do it. Uh, injuries forced younger guys to get into bigger roles, but assessing, uh, but assessing the team injuries didn't have a huge impact. Steve said, looking around the league, every team gets hammered with injuries. You just have to deal with it and call guys up. Doesn't think it changed anything that dramatically. Uh, looking at the group, Eisenman believes there are some, now this was the one where uh, he was asked by, I think Max might've asked him about free agents. Looking at the group, Eisenman believes there are some players on free agency that could help, but there are 31 other teams as well. Uh, Won't know anything until July 1st. Says it's hard to build or plan around free agency. There will be challenges, but he hopes to fill roles with young and developing players. And that's the same thing. It's just you don't know what all those other teams are going to do. So you can't really plan your next year going, yeah, I'm going to get this guy, this guy, this guy. And we're just going to go out and wreck shit because those three guys could be taken by other teams. And it's not really up to
1: you. Yeah. And there is always a team in free agency that overpays. Always. (laughs)
0: And there are only three good guys in free agency. So you got to hope you get one of them just to move your team forward. Uh, Asked, would being active surprise him. He says he will be active, but the free agent group is not as big. Is there going to be a fit? He can't answer that right now. Uh, When asked if toughness is a priority, Iserman says there are a lot of definitions of competitiveness. Says Lidstrom, he's going back. Nick Lidstrom was very competitive but not like Vladdy. They were two different kinds of competitive. These are areas he would like to improve on, but expect a lot of it to happen from within the team. So you're getting competitiveness where an Edmondson may not be the same kind of competitive as a Jake Wallman or a Dylan Larkin may not be the same kind of competitive as a Marco Casper. They're going to bring different qualities to the team, but they can both play a
1: different uh, style of competitive game. And they can all synergize with each other, too. I mean, like all yeah. these competitive styles can work in tandem.
0: Yeah, they all feed. It's just basically building a team to feed off each other and and pick up where another one leaves off. Uh, it's about giving the team more balance. he will continue to try to balance out the team to help make them more competitive. Um, there's a there's a reoccurring te- uh, theme through the entire Iserman presser. It's about balancing the team and building it from within is what it is. He's. He basically is resigned to the fact that um, the free agent class sucks and that every player needs to have a really good offseason. On backup goaltending, Iserman says Magnus and Alex both. they both could be part of the plan. That was the other interesting thing there is he's like, yeah, we could sign them both. Who gives a shit? Uh, Needs to sit down with them and hash things out. Says that save percentage and goals against need to get better. Are the best options within? Don't know yet. The goaltending market is thin. We knew that as well. On analytics, Eiserman says they look at everything. They are still in the infant stages of figuring out what analytics are actually important. Doesn't seem like he wants to... He basically didn't seem like he wanted to talk about it. Like they asked about analytics and he he's like, why are you asking about the secrets of my team and how we do our business? I'm not going to tell you anything about that. So it'll be really interesting to see what they say on on what analytics are important because he he talked, he's like, well... Uh, a couple years ago, Corsi was really important, and right now it might not be as important. And we're looking at all these other stats, and then uh, and they've got stuff we don't get access to because they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to their analytics departments. So Iserman, analytics guy for Grand Rapids, it starts with the Detroit management team. They want a winning environment. Didn't put together a good enough team. What happened in Detroit with injuries hurt Grand Rapids as well with their own injuries, which we saw, and again. They went and fired their whole team, so uh, they didn't think that they did good enough with what they had,
1: which is kind of fair. I know that a lot of teams have um, like the their NHL to AHL style is they match the team systems. Yep. And I felt that there was like a very strong disconnect with the two systems that we had in both Grand Rapids and Detroit. It's fair. Uh, I, yeah, I feel like the the Griffin system was still like the ghost of Jeff Blashell coming back. You know what I mean? Like very passive, very dump and chase, very. Um, uh, we'll just wait for the right opportunities to present themselves. And we
0: thought like Grand Rapids was gonna have like a sick year. We thought they were gonna be super good, and yeah. then they weren't. And I think that's part of the reason why Ben Simon got fired because I'm not fired. I think he got fired, but it's whole we're deciding not to renew the contracts of these guys. We have not. Um, we've decided to part ways. Blah blah. Yeah, blah, we're yeah. mutually separating or whatever. But I think that's what it is. It's like, come on, you got, you've got you got these guys and you're not
1: doing anything with them. What's it, conscious uncoupling?
0: <laughs> now, he was asked about uh, going into the offseason and making the playoffs. He says it was not his goal. He didn't expect it. The coaching staff and the players' goal is to win every game. Iserman isn't disappointed. He was hoping for improvement and has seen it for the most part. He expects improvement to continue, which I think we also said, like, at the beginning of the season, that's not a playoff team. We don't expect yeah. them to play, make playoffs. We expect them to go in and compete every night and build a competitive team and come back and not fall on your face, and they did that on most nights. Our friend Carlos Monterez asked about abandoning the Iser plan to make the playoffs, to which Iserman scoffed at him, which is the best thing to see him do. Normally, Burns Ansar, I I feel like he has a seething hatred for Carlos Monarez. Uh, and I don't I didn't even bother again to look where Carlos is from or who he writes for. Um, and I won't because I don't care. He asks bad questions. Eiserman scoffed doesn't form his plans around missing the playoffs for so many years because he asked about the streak of missing the place like you guys have missed the playoffs for this many years. Are you just going to try and fast track this thing? He says he doesn't build the team around that. He won't make moves out of desperation. We'll build a team that can be good for years to come like he did in Tampa few more guys he's drafted. He sees things starting to come together. It's important to remain patient with them and let them grow as players, giving them the best chance to succeed. Some are moving in, but he wishes there were more coming. That's what he wishes. Guys were moving along faster. Don't we all right on Elmer? He said that uh, he's got a potential to be part of the future. The initial plan was to send him to Grand Rapids at the beginning of the season, but he made the team uh, because he worked his way under the team. Uh, then he was sent down midway to play more. They had a good idea of what he is as a player and there's a ton of potential with him in size and hands. He mentioned it specifically, which I agree with. I think Elmer Elmer's going to be an interesting case because of his unique combination of size and hands because he can skate too, which is impressive for a dude his size. So I don't know if he starts the season next year in Detroit. I could totally see it happening, but it also depends on how many guys are shipped out because we're in a jam.
1: I think he's going to burger in his way through. He's going to start in Grand Rapids and he's going to give them every reason to send him back up.
0: I could see it. I mean, and when he played, he played pretty well. But there were the problem was there were defensive holes. Elmer got caught looking quite a few times. So we'll see if he can work on the defensive aspect. I'm afraid to see Elmer Soderbloom bulk up because he's going to have an offseason as well. And um, he's already a very large man. So he's going to become the Hulk and just toss people (laughs) around maybe. But again, another fun one to watch is going to be Elmer Soderblom's offseason. Who needs defense when you can just
1: like spread yourself across the ice and take up half the space?
0: (laughs) Well, all of our like all of our players besides a couple like Mazur and Lombardi, they're all like six foot two, six foot three, 220 pounds and can skate, which is scary. It's like a freight train coming at you. And, and that's, again, what he did with Tampa. It's just the team is huge and they can play. So uh, Iserman says the season's an emotional roller coaster for management. And the fans there were a lot of good things this year through trades and injuries. We somehow feel disappointed. But looking at the big picture, Iserman's confident that we're going in the right direction. Everyone wishes they were further ahead, but everyone is growing and maturing. Oh, that was the big message is that sure, you can be disappointed, but the results of the season aren't disappointing because it's where we thought we were going to be. Uh, the progress of guys like Mazer and Lombardi, Mazer had a really good year in Denver. They signed him and he looks like a really good prospect. Looks like an NHL player forming with his hands and skating would be a really good player sooner rather than later. And on Lombardi, he's competitive and creative. He's smaller, but he competes. That's one thing that, that's like a direct quote. Uh
1: says he's very he said entertaining. The C word. They love he loves uh, the word compete. Ugh, so
0: the compete and process. I think Iserman said process like six times. <laughs> so uh says he's very entertaining, fun to watch, and they hold optimism for him. Let's see. Uh, there's a couple other ones. Andrew Cop, which if you haven't watched his uh postseason presser, it's very good. Um uh, he was asked a lot of very pointed questions. He's a he thinks about his answers before he says them. And he doesn't just give surface level answers. He went into it kind of deep. Um, but on cop. With his contract comes expectations. Obviously, Eiserman says he's a very good two-way guy who does little things well. The recovery hampered him early, but as the year went on, he had a bigger impact. Played a lot of hard minutes and is great defensively. And that's another thing: is cops a top four defensive, top five defensive player on this team? Like I was looking at um, defensive play and passed literally four defensemen. It's Andrew Kopp.
1: I saw somebody try to compare him to Franz Nielsen, and I'm like, even with this. Even with this core injury, Kopp has scored more than Franz Nielsen did ever, any season.
0: They called him Franz Nielsen without the offense. That's what they called him.
1: They call him that, and I saw somebody call him, um, oh my God, who was the really, really bad signing that Holland did a few years ago where the guy got like too injured to play? Stephen Weiss. Yeah, Stephen Weiss. They kept calling him Stephen Weiss, and I'm like, dude, do you guys not watch the game? Like, Kopp, Kopp, I think, is like the most overhated forward on this roster possibly the most overhated player.
0: Well, they had the scapegoat and because he wasn't potting 30 goals, then they're going to say, Oh, well, cop sucks. I, I mean, yeah, again, but like, we
1: didn't sign him to pot 30 goals, you know?
0: No. When he has one of the highest defensive point shares on the team. So that's what you sign. And that's what Iserman said. Like he probably needs to score more, which is fine. If, if Andrew cop can put in 15 goals in a season up to 20, that's fine. Who cares? Um, but he signed him for his flexibility, not necessarily to score because Andrew cop, you saw him play wing some games. You saw him play center. He's good at both. He's very defensively responsible. He was, I believe, one of the only one of the few plus players on the team, Andrew Cobb. So I'm fine with the cop signing. I think he makes the right amount of money. I think he's only going to get better next year because the team as a group is going to develop more. Uh on the draft, Steve says that they talked about the draft being deep when there's someone special. Uh, this was funny. They're like, is this a deep draft? And Steve's like, he laughed and he goes, yeah, they always talk about the draft being deep when there's someone special at the top. Uh, when there's not, they talk, they say, it's not a deep draft. So like when there's not a Connor Bedard up there, that's breaking away from everyone that they, they're like, ah, this draft's not that deep.
1: He's so right though. I never thought about that until now. (laughs) And then
0: then he went out, he laughed. He goes, yeah, the draft's deep. He goes in the first round, (laughs) they're optimistic and excited about the options they think they'll have. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. We're supposed to talk to Tony, but uh, he got double book. We're going to talk to Tony next week about uh, the draft. And there's a lot of options. I've got like a list of like eight people. Uh, He says today he has no options, but there are options that will become available in time. Picks could be moved for guys. We'll talk more to teams towards the draft on Cosa, Iserman says they are very pleased with his uh, season to date. Struggled early on, but his attitude has been unreal. He wanted the opportunity to play a lot and has really put in the work. His play has improved through the season and the competition in net is driving him. So when people ask why Kosa was picked over uh, Wallstat, I think that's the thing. I think what they saw in Kosa was just the the fire to play and the fire to just be like the best version of himself he can be, because that's all I've heard about. Kosa from the beginning is just his willingness to say, I need to be better and to actually go out and do it is what really attracts a lot of people to him. And you hear it in the interviews.
1: Yeah, I I really appreciate that about him. And I, you know, honestly, even if it takes him more years to get into the NHL and he winds up being a better player than Wallstead, I'm happy with it, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that it's his job to take in Grand Rapids next season. Like that's Kosa's job to go out and just take it. And I don't expect him to be a backup in Detroit for probably two more seasons. Like, I'm not going to say, okay, if he kills it in Grand Rapids this season, then he's automatically coming up to Detroit. I think he's probably got two seasons in Grand Rapids in him. Even if he starts as a backup in Grand Rapids and splits, they normally split goalie time anyways, but I don't think he's going back to Toledo, especially with how he finished the season and depending on how the playoffs go. But A lot of taking them to the playoffs, even towards the end where they went on that 18 game run, that was a lot of it was Kosa. And if you look at him, he is about double the height of the net. Uh, It's very interesting to see him stand there because he is
1: gigantic. Very like Ben Bishop ask.
0: Yeah. If you stacked a small child on top of Ben Bishop, you have (laughs) Sebastian Kosa. Uh, But he's also super athletic and he's very calm or he's learned to become more calm and less frantic. Uh, Kosa, I'm very excited for him, Um, but it's going to be still a little bit of time. Uh, He says if he's ready to start in Grand Rapids, he will uh, when we will see him in Detroit is anyone's guess. Uh, And then he ended it very lovingly by saying that uh, the support from the fan base has been astounding. And that it he he made a point to just not leave the press conference before saying that he's like everyone sit the fuck back down I have something to say and he's like <laughs> the fan base is amazing everyone's been awesome like the the team and the group and the guys everyone feels it and like when we uh, talked to Stacy who's the social media manager she even said the same thing she's like the guys feel it the social team feels it they they see all the tweets and the responses and they they love it. And it's it's what keeps them going through the season. So I thought that was very it was a nice thing of Iserman to basically acknowledge how great the fans have been. So uh, thanks. Thanks, Steve. We get your acknowledgement.
1: Yeah, Steve, we appreciate it. Come on to our podcast, by the way. And then come on to Grindline right after. <sighs> you just you stop poaching people on our
0: podcast, Jake. <laughs> I want to get your kind of take on on the season as a whole and and where you I guess, where you thought it was going
1: to where it actually ended up before we before we end tonight. So this is, is kind of where I expected it to be. Not good enough to make the playoffs, but not bad enough for their basement team anymore. Obviously, of all the years you could have been a basement team, this probably would have been the year fucking to do year, it. Guys. <laughs> but then you'd have to compete in the mid off that was like, you know, Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. I think that the team has taken a step in the right direction. But I do, like, all of the problems that we all thought were problems beforehand have become very glaringly so, now that we've seen it firsthand. I think next year's going to be a huge year for the kids. I think it's there's going to be many opportunities for the young guys to come up and actually, like, make a name for themselves. But it is entirely on them to do so, rather than to, you know, simply wait for an injury or wait for an opportunity to present itself. Um, seize the day, carpe diem. Carter, Ma- no, never mind.
0: You're going to try to work Carter Mazer in there, weren't you? I was. I was it wasn't going to you know work. What? I'm not even going to do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: don't, don't hurt yourself. Know when to know when to trade your uh, top line forward and top four defenseman. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, you just got to hold <laughs> those cards until someone offers you a lot for them. Because I don't think you were ever going to get a better deal. When somebody comes to me
1: with a, a Canuck style deal for Hironic, you know. You can't Jesus Christ. <laughs>
0: Alvin is out of his fucking mind. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to plug whatever you want to plug. Where can people find you? Go for it.
1: If you like shows that cover the Detroit Red Wings, but in a much less serious light and focus more on the memes and the vibes than anything else, then I highly recommend you give 313 Hockey a listen. It is by me and my friend, my good friend, Maddie. Um, We are very low key, very just fun loving, sarcastic. Uh, and sometimes we can get really out of pocket. So, you know, you, re- you really never know what you're going to get into this episode. And we're going to be having the Grand Line boys on within the next few weeks. So uh, if you like hearing them and you want to hear them be asked a series of very uncomfortable questions, you should definitely tune in.
0: You will very quickly learn that questions don't make me uncomfortable. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, I just I I will talk, Jake. You you don't have to make me. I'll
1: talk. Uh, you say this now, man. But <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, you'll you'll get it.
0: Again, thank you, Jake, for coming on and uh, being an emergency fill-in for me in my time of need. I very much appreciate you, and I look the e-bug. forward. <laughs> yeah, the e bug. We've got Jake Rivard, the e bug, on the team. <laughs> um, but I very much appreciate you, and I look forward to coming on the show. Uh, it'll be—I mean, it'll be a blast. Again, Jake hates coming on here because we have to be serious and talk about um, fun stuff like stats and press conferences. Where we can go on. Uh, I'll go on that show, and I don't know, we'll talk about dick jokes and stuff. It'll be really interesting to see what oh, happens. That would be awesome. Um, but you can follow me online at Bringing the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. We'd like to give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet for hosting us and spreading us around. We also give a shout out to Vintage Detroit, where you should get your Detroit jerseys from. It's literally the only place you should get them. And you should get those Adidas jerseys before they become shit fanatics jerseys. So go buy your blanks. You can hold on to them and then get that Marco Casper or Connor Bedard jersey of your dreams later on. Uh, We like to give a shout out to Howie's Hockey Tape, where if you use the promo code Grindline, you get 10% off. If you use that same promo code on Bring Hockey Back, you get 12%. Go to YouTube, sub to us, turn on the notifications, and check out our merch on redbubble.com. But that is going to do it for us tonight. So for Jake, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.